0: The following audio is via a Skype call.
1: Sell crazy someplace else. We're all stocked up here.
2: It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell, a double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. Happy weekend. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour. We have a returning guest. He was on very recently giving us a half hour of his golden time. We're going to stretch it to an hour today. But first, let's say hello to our buddy on the weekend. We're talking about tall guy, Nathan. Nathan, how are you today?
3: Hello, Gary. I'm doing great. And I actually think there's a little bit of a glitch in the time-space paradox going on right now, because just recently we had some thunder and lightning pass over the studio, uh, much like it would happen to you in Florida. I'm not sure what the weather is like over there right now, but as this happened, it was darker outside than when I woke up at 6.30 in the morning. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that That is Florida weather, when you get uh, dark clouds and thunderstorms. And when we lived in in uh, the Seattle area, it rarely thunderstormed. You, you didn't get thunder and lightning there for the most part, so especially, that's unusual. Especially in the morning, too. Usually if it happens you know, probably maybe three to five times a year on average, I would say, it never really happens in the morning. It's always in the later afternoon or evening.
2: That's true. The other thing I came to count on is no matter where you were, if somebody lit a match and blew it out too hard, the power lines
3: would go down in Auburn. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, wind, wind over there. Uh, Florida is the lightning capital of the United States. They get uh, lightning strikes from the air to the ground, something like one over a million every year. So uh, it's a light
2: show, There's no yeah, doubt about it. it. Is.
3: And this is our season for that.
2: Well, always good to work with you, Nathan. Yep. Thanks for being here again. I'm so happy that we are welcoming back this gentleman. He has more to say than we can cover in a single hour, no matter how many times we have him back. And that just means we keep having him back.
3: We talked to him twice last year after reading his book, The Mosaic, and then we invited him again. And unfortunately, we had two people on the same day. The other one was D. Wallace on May 15, and, and we begged uh, Daniel Levin to come back again so we could spend more time with him. And he said yes. So let me give him his mad props. Daniel Bruce Levin walked away from an opportunity to run a business that was a household name in order to hitchhike around the world to find happiness and inner peace. The people he met along his journey remind him a lot of the characters in the mosaic. He has traveled to many different countries and dined with the richest of the rich and sat on street corners with the poorest of the poor. All the while, he has observed that no matter what country people come from or where they are economically, no matter what color their skin or what religion they practice, we are all the same. We all want to be loved and accepted, listened to and understood, Acknowledged and validated, Daniel Levin finally found his heaven in his connection to the Mosaic. He speaks of this in his workshops, retreats, online courses, and Mosaic coaching. He hopes you will join him on his mission to reconnect a disconnected world, something we want to talk to him about today. And so for the fourth time on Manson Mitchell, welcome, Daniel Levin. Good to have you back.
1: So great to be here. And you say you begged, but i it was my honor to come and join. Anytime you call me, it's my honor. So I love being on your show because I love you guys.
3: One of the things that we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago when we knew we were going to have a, a, a solid half hour with you is we wanted to talk about the archetypes related to COVID-19. And we talked about first responders as as, uh, heroes. We talked about healers. We talked about things related to that. And now we have even more to talk about. It's funny because in your book, The Mosaic, and and we just love this, this allegorical book. It's a beautiful book to hold. It's physically gorgeous. It would be a great, great gift book. But you talk about archetypes like the mortician, the road worker, the juice man, the traveler, the wise one, the street artist, the blind woman. And in it, there are lessons in every one of these chapters that are so relatable to today and when we talked to you a couple weeks ago, we said, you need to do another book about COVID-19. Well, now if your traveler Mo was making another journey, he'd have to include all the riots as well. We got a lot to talk yes. about today, Daniel.
1: Yes, and, and, and I'm so happy because that's exactly what I wanted to talk about because that, if you if you take a look at what's happening in the world, we are a society of people who really don't feel heard. Within our midst are a group of people who have been saying what they wanted to say. They haven't been heard. They scream what they want to say. They haven't been heard. They create havoc in the world by by even what's happening right now, uh, and still are, are not heard. And the natural progression that comes from that after that is that they have to destroy something. And I I learned this from my 30-year-old developmentally delayed daughter. You see, she doesn't speak like you and I speak. And because she's been with me over those 30 years, most of the time, I'm able to sort of sense what she's trying to say, even when other people can't understand her. But sometimes I can't. And when she tries to speak and I don't get it, what she'll naturally do is she'll yell. And sometimes, to her credit, when she yells, she says it slightly differently and I can hear something differently than I did before, but most times that doesn't happen. Most times it's, it's because of her pronunciation that I can't understand her, and now she's just pronouncing it the same way but louder, and I still don't understand her. And when that happens, she tantrums. And that can be anywhere. It can be in a store. It could be at a friend's house. It could be at the dinner table. It could be during the time of her bath. She's trying to say something and she's not understood and she tantrums because she's so frustrated. And then when she tantrums and she doesn't get understood, she'll come running at me and try and rip my shirt or bite me or do something. And that went on for a long time. I'm going to say it was about 15 years. And it didn't happen every day, but sometimes it happens four, or five, ten times a day when it did happen. And I just thought, hold it. There, I'm a smart person, and she knows I love her, and she knows I want to understand her, and she knows that what she, what she's saying is, is important to me. And finally, in the midst of her rage, I just said to her, "Alisa, we have to figure out a way to communicate that does not use words. Like, talk to me without your words and tell me what you want to say. And she stopped yelling right at that moment. And she said, I am daddy. And I said, what the heck are you talking about? I am daddy. What do you mean? And she said, I said, how are you doing that? And she took her forefinger and she put it to the side of her head. And what I understood in that was because she can't speak, she has the ability to think thoughts and put them into my head. And I I said, are you little son of a gun? Are you putting thoughts in my head? And she started that contagious laugh that comes from the pit of her belly. And we laughed together for what, it was probably only five minutes. It felt like five months. We just said, as soon as she would stop, I would be laughing and she would catch my laugh. And we would just laugh and laugh and laugh. And you know, from that moment, Suzanne, she never raised her voice again. She never tantrumed. And she never attacked. She taught me in that moment that when we have the ability and we take the time to really listen to what people are saying, they don't need to yell. They don't need to scream. They don't need to, to, to have riots. They don't need to destroy. When we hear what they're saying and respond and acknowledge and validate, we don't have to agree. Not one person in my life has ever said to me, Danny, you have to agree with me. All that they wanted was to be heard and understood, acknowledged and validated, and, and that their voices meant something. And I think if you look around the world today, we have, a, we have segments of society that really just are not listened to. How many, how many times has this situation happened in the in where a white police officer has, has, has injured or killed a black man? for sometimes no reason, I'm not saying every time it's been for no reason, but for some, many times for no reason, and they're accused, and they, and then they're let off. The community has gotten tired of not being able to have a voice. And they, what's, what's happened is it's eroding our trust in the very systems that we believe in. Because when we look to those people who protect us, like my daughter, when she looks to me, as, my, as her protector and I can't understand her or I would I, if I would do harm to her, then you, you she, how do you believe in a system where the world will has your back? And so if the world doesn't have your back you have to you have to stand up and, and take your back back and, and find those people who can support you and as much as I hate all the things that are going on in the destruction, and the fact that people are, are looting and, you know, people come to these riots now for all sorts of reasons. Some of, the, some of the people are really just standing up for George Floyd. But then some of them just think, oh, this is a great time to steal stuff or, or riot or take stuff or, or be criminals. We can't lose sight of what the cause is because some certain people misuse it. But we have to start to find ways to listen to each other. And even if we can't understand the words, we have to understand what it is that's right. There's nothing right about watching a man with a knee on somebody's throat, staying on his throat for two minutes and 43 seconds longer than the man is conscious. There's nothing right about that. And when you make that man a policeman, there's even something more wrong.
2: Daniel, that's absolutely true. I'd like to unpack. You have said so much. I'd like to unpack it with you. You mentioned a person, a man becoming a policeman and doing as was done to George Floyd. I... I saw it again and again and again. I still can't believe it happened, but it's all too real. And what makes it even more surreal, Daniel, is that there were policemen standing around, I think of one in particular, just a few feet away, and he's looking back and forth with his hands in his pockets. Does that go with your police training? And I'm thinking if people have to know, and this touches on something you said a few moments ago, if we wish to believe, and if we can perceive that society has our backs at all, it's because we have placed our faith in reliable institutions, law enforcement, perhaps other than the military itself, being number one. And if they don't have our back, it's because something in the system attitudinally has broken down to such an extent that the person on the street and the cop on the beat cannot see each other as vulnerable human beings entitled to mutual respect.
1: Yeah, and, and I think it's really important that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And then in the sense that there are so many good policemen in the world. I mean, the, 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 the organization of the police is still a, a fabulous. When, when you, you think about when somebody is in danger or someone is in harm's way, who do they call? They call the police. They don't call their minister. I, I years ago I was thinking to be a policeman because I thought when people are troubled most, they call the police. And so it isn't that the whole institution. There's just a couple bad apples on the tree, but and they're not even that they're not even inherently bad apples. What's happened is life has beaten them up and made them look, for that guy to do that. Take the same theory that I said to you about my daughter. When he speaks and he doesn't get heard, he yells. When he yells and he doesn't get heard, he creates a scene. When he creates a scene and he doesn't get heard, he destroys. That policeman went through that same process in his own in his own being. So what is it that he's trying to say? What is it that he's been trying to say for a long time that he hasn't been heard? In? And how do we how do we not throw not like it's so easy to say the police are bad and it's a corrupt system and it's not good, but that just isn't true. In general, the police are really, are, are they do have our back, and they are the people that we call. It's just that they, after a certain amount of time or something happens to a few policemen, that then they paint this whole picture of what the police are like because it's really just the bad fruit and not even a bad fruit it's a fruit that hasn't been heard and 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 is acting out all of us do that we do that in in corporations i watch it in the corporations that i work with i watch the ceos of companies do the same thing i watch the employees do the same thing i watch it in families where where they do the same thing i watch it in religious institutions where they do the same thing it it's we have happening in the world around us and the people that are around us. We have to hear how, how hurt and, and vulnerable we all are and how and how and what we really need to feel loved and accepted and listened to and heard. If the guy that was sitting on the windpipe of George Floyd had been really listened to and heard, he wouldn't have needed to done, have done that. So it goes, it, it the model that my daughter, a developmentally delayed 30 year old daughter taught me is a model for humanity right now. We have to stop putting people down and start listening to them more, because then they won't have to act the way they're acting. Does that make sense?
3: Well, it, it really does, and you know I like that you say a model for humanity because I'm I'm uh, uh, one of the things that that I have said before about other other groups of people like. Um, Doctors and plumbers and mediums and, you know, every kind of person that we have talked about on our show has been that every group of people, every type of service or business will have a percentage. And it may be a very small percentage, but it will have a percentage of people who are not acting morally and ethically, and then you have to be very careful about not attributing that to the entire group. You can't have yep. one apple spoil the whole barrel. So I hear you saying that again today, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. If I was in real trouble, I would call the police. I wouldn't hesitate. But there, there's also this idea of this model for humanity, because the question I've been asking myself for several days now is, how do we change our culture? How do we change it? You know, in in a lot of these groups, they are uh, supposedly monitoring themselves. The, you know, like the AMA is going to monitor doctor's behaviors, or, uh, or the American Psychiatric Association is going to monitor the behavior of psychiatrists. So you, you do have this, this self-monitoring, but yet you still have the bad apple syndrome no matter what. And, and so if we mm-hmm. are looking to create an entirely new way of being, if we are to create a new model for humanity, how do we begin to change a culture which allows for, you know, hatred and immorality and unethical behavior? And that's a question that's been weighing on my mind now for for several days. We, We need to begin to have some answers to the questions.
1: So, and what a beautiful question, because when, as you're speaking it, the thing that comes to my mind really even big, crystal clear, is look at what's happening even within our churches. We've had, we've had uh, priests abusing children. Look what's happening in the Boy Scouts. We have Boy Scout leaders abusing children. So it, it, it isn't a matter of self-monitoring. The church is trying to monitor the, the behavior of its priests, but it's not doing a great job. What, what has to happen is not so much an authoritative modeling of what, of what we say to people or what people have to do. I believe the answer, Suzanne, is so simple, but it doesn't mean it's easy. The answer is we need to care enough about each other to when we see behaviors that are not appropriate. Like, look what happened with my daughter. My daughter, she tried to speak. She didn't get heard. She yelled and she didn't get heard. At the moment she goes to tantruming, she's no longer trying to say to me what she was trying to say when she was speaking. All she's trying to do now is get my attention to tell me she needs something. And when she attacks, she's not saying what she wants to say. She's literally again trying to increase and up the up the voltage of what she's doing so that she'll be noticed, so that I can say to her, "Hold on, Elisa, what's going on? Why are you why are you attacking me?" and then maybe she can go back to speaking and and getting heard. We need, it's just so simple. We just need to listen to each other. We need to be there for each other to say to the priest who's, who's abusing children, what what is it, what happened? What do you need? What are you trying to say? Are you not feeling, do you not feel that you can be celibate in the world anymore? Do you need to have relationships with men? With, With men? Are you gay and you want to have a relationship with men? There's nothing wrong with that. What is it you're trying to say, police, to people who you are brutalizing? Are you afraid? Are you scared? Does something happen? What is it that you would say if you could say what you want to say that would no longer make you act like this because you're not being heard? How could we really be there for each other? And, and I'm going to roll it back even, because, and I think I can do this on your show because you do this with people. The problem doesn't start there. The problem starts. We don't even listen to ourselves. We have we have the same deviance going on within our own system. Our bodies are telling us things through through the way they're acting, through the way they're looking, through the pain that we experience. Our souls are telling us something of the way we want to be, but we don't listen. We we carry on as if we are unconscious to the voices of our own self. And a lot of the work that I do with people is I really try and reintroduce them to themselves. Because when people act like that, something, I can almost guarantee you that the voice Inside them is not being heard by them. How does a man stand, sit with his knee and 200 pounds of weight on the the windpipe of another man and not hear a voice inside him that says, hey, you can't do this. This isn't right. You know better than this. This is not how you would want your brother or your son or your father to be treated. You can't do this. This isn't what you believe. This isn't what you know but we get to a place where fear takes hold of us and we forget the voice to listen. We forget to do what we do and we just instinctively do what we we think we have to do because we have to be macho men. We have to learn to listen again to ourselves, first of all. We have to learn to listen to this power that's bigger than ourselves, second of all. We have to listen again to the purpose that we have in this world, third of all. And then and only then are we able to listen to the voices of other people. And then we can connect. We're just disconnected. It's more and more a symbol to me everywhere I turn of how disconnected we are from what we really believe and what we really want. There's no one in the world. I can't believe there's anyone in the world that wants to have The dissension and the disagreement and the constant fighting between our politicians and the world that we live in. Who wants that? Nobody wants to see that. That isn't how that isn't what if anybody made their perfect view of what this world looks like, would that be in anybody's picture? I don't believe it would. We are the United States of America. We are not the divided states of America, but in order to be a United States, we have to at least be united within ourselves, and we've lost that. We've forgotten that. We don't know where that lives. And part of what we just need to do is slow down and just take time to listen to what it is we are saying to ourselves, what we're saying to each other, what others are saying to us. It would change the world if we just did
2: I am wondering, Daniel, what it is that would trigger that because, from where I sit, we are the divided states of America during a presidential election year where the idea of popularity, of favorability ratings, all these indices of performance and perception are being weighed one against the other, one party against the other, as always, but two elderly white males with different outlooks on America and the world, vying for your vote if you take the time and trouble to vote. Suzanne and I always do. I'm sure you always do. But there are millions of people who sit it out every four years, and then they become actually at the effect of whatever government we get by default when that happens. There are times when when we're lucky to get much more than 50% turnout in a presidential election. So when I hear... Yeah. A quote from LBJ, and I watch a lot of MSNBC, I think our listeners know that by now, when I hear a quote from LBJ and he says, we are the United States of America, we are one people with one purpose, I say to myself, well, maybe and probably not, but if I stipulate to that back in the time of LBJ in the mid to late 1960s, it's a dubious proposition. It's more of a statement of ideal. And we seek to approximate that ideal in our public life, in, in the body politic. But today, to say that we are the United States, one people with one purpose, makes me think that anybody spouting that must live on the moon, and they just drop in for a visit now and again, because it's simply not functionally true. It's dysfunctionally false.
1: Yeah, well... So let me let me just try and share my opinion with you, and if, if, if it if it sounds right, go for it. If it doesn't, throw it away. It's, uh, I I completely hear what you're saying, and it sure appears in this point in time that is that is it is completely false. But I believe that just like day follows night and night follows day, and spring follows the winter, and and summer follows spring that we go through cycles of time, this cycle will also pass. And one of the things that the Mosaic taught me more than anything else is nothing is as it seems. And even though we sit in a time where there is so much dissension, where there is so much betrayal, where there is so much division, where there is so much seemingly argumentation, where where it's me versus you, Nothing is as it seems. In one brief moment, look what coronavirus did to us. Look what one little invisible set, uh, set of set of of illness—I don't even know what it is—an inv- an invisible something brought into the world and and literally turned the world on hold. That same possibility is possible with the invisible power of love. And what we really just need is people that hold hold up a truth that is something that people want to hear. I believe that if we were able to really just listen to each other, the world would change. I, I Can I tell you a story about one of the one of the most powerful meetings i ever had
2: please hold on it's to that story abortion. We have a story coming from Daniel Levin. We would love to hear it. We need to take a break, Daniel. So let's make that a bit of a tease. We want to hear your fundamentally important story. It sounds like one that really had a huge impact on you, and it may on us. Let's go ahead and take our break now. We are Manson Mitchell. Daniel Levin, author of The Mosaic, is our honored guest of this hour. And there is much to discuss on the other side of this two, two two-and-a-half-minute break. So stick around. You're listening to Manson Mitchell at Seattle's home of Alternative Talk, AM 1150. The preceding audio was via a Skype
3: call. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and
1: guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and
3: like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell.
0: Here's an amazing act, here's a tremendous act, here's a startling act, the amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame most unusual, novelty act.
1: The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is mansonmitchell.com, heard right here on
2: Alternative Talk 1150 AM, or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at
0: terry@terryloving.com. That's terry at plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration.
2: On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Nicole Strickland to talk about the latest trends in ghost research and some of her case studies.
3: On Saturday, Christopher Hill, who chronicled the hippie movement in his book, Into the Mystic, compares the 1960s to today's protests bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007 we are manson mitchell friday and saturday mornings at 10 on alternative talk am 1150
2: you found us maybe you've been guided to listen alternative talk 1150 the following audio is via a
0: skype call
3: Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Daniel Bruce Levin. He's the author of The Mosaic. There's something on the back of the book here that I would like to read. The Mosaic is an extraordinary tale about the absolutely ordinary. It is an invitation to those who feel disconnected to reconnect again, to those who feel broken to know they are whole and to help us realize that what we see is not what is but only what we see. We got this book last year and have read it cover to cover. It is a beautiful, beautiful book. It is full of wisdom and it would make a gorgeous gift book. It's black and white with very beautiful pictures in it. And I wanted to say that because I didn't want to ask the author to say that. But Daniel Levin, if people would like to connect with you, where can they get the book? What is your website? and um, how can they um, be involved in your life?
1: Thank you so much for uh, for allowing me to present that. The book is available at Amazon, so it's The Mosaic by Daniel Levin on Amazon. Or you can get it at, I have two websites. One is the themosaiconline.com, and the other is just my name, danielbrucelevin.com. And you can, I, I really highly encourage People to reach out. Uh, I am available for people to talk to to listen. I am here to listen. This work of listening is the most beautiful thing that I've ever encountered, and it is in listening to other people that I believe my life has changed, and the people around me have changed as well. So I would really invite for your, for you to contact me through the social media links that are on my website. Um, or to just email me with my emails on my website, please, please, please contact me.
2: Thank you for that, Daniel. I want to uh, suggest something to you. Oh,
3: and he has a story, too.
2: And I know you've got a story coming, so I want to make sure that I, I ask you about this. But fair is fair. We teased the story And unlike some networks on TV, they tease through 45 minutes with multiple breaks. We take one break. And now Daniel is back with us. So let's go ahead and hear about this story that seems to have been seminal in your thinking to some degree.
1: Yes. So, one of the conversations, you know, I've had the opportunity, as you've said, to sit with some of the richest people in the world at their dinner tables, that they're in their homes for. and discuss things that are going on in my life, things that are going on in their life, and to help each other with navigating those things that are going on. But I've also had the opportunity to sit on street corners with some of the poorest of the poor. And one of the conversations that touched me probably more than just about any other that I've had was when I met a homeless man in San Diego, which is where I live. I was just walking by, and I just saw him, and I just felt that I just wanted to go and sit down. And as I came up to him, he he immediately defended his ground and said, this is my place, you know, find another place to sit. And I said, brother, I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, take, I'm not trying to sit and get money from people here. In fact, everything you have here, by the time I leave, I'll, I'll triple or 10 times, whatever. Let's see what you make. And I'll give you a big donation for just letting me sit here with you. And it took about an hour or so for the, for the walls to melt. And we had such a beautiful conversation after that. And I sat with him for probably an hour and a half or so. And I said to him finally, as I was about to leave, Corey, you sit here and you watch the world pass you by. You sit here and you see so much from this vantage point. What is it you would like to say to the people that are passing you by that you haven't had a chance to say to? And he said, Danny, you don't know me very well, but about three months ago, I was thinking to commit suicide because that day was a particularly hard day for me. I sit here minding my own business just with a hat out and a sign that asks for money. But people, as they walk by, they spit on me. They kick me. They punch me. They yell at me. And they tell me, I, 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 what are you doing? They treat me worse than they would treat an animal. And it's just so, it, was, it got to me so much that day that I thought, I'm just going to go around the corner this evening when it's dark and nobody's around, and I'm just going to take my life. Because what good am I doing here in the world? I'm, I'm, I'm not supporting myself. I'm, I'm not giving any benefit to anybody else. In fact, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a burden on people. And I had that thought and not two minutes later, a man put his, his hands on my shoulder and he said, "'How are you doing, brother?' And I looked at him and I, I started crying and I said, "'Not so well, my friend.'" And he just sat down next to me. And he said, "'Tell me, I'm here. I have nothing to do but listen to you.'" And I just cried out and told him my story and I told him how nobody seems to care and nobody does, and, and people beat me I just feel like such a, a failure in my life. And he just sat. He didn't try and fix me. He didn't try and change me. He didn't try and do anything. He just sat there and, and, and held me. And in the end, he just put his arm around me and hugged me to him. And Daddy, he, he said, it only took about 10 minutes for all that to happen. But in that 10 minutes, I realized I can't kill myself anymore. Because amongst all the people in the world, there's this guy right here who actually took enough, took 10 minutes out of his day to care for me. So what I would like to say to people, take 10 minutes out of the course of your lifetime and find someone you don't know. Ask them how they're doing and just sit with them and listen. He said, that man has no idea he saved my life that day. Well, Corey has no idea that the story he told me I tell on every radio show, on every interview I have, on every meeting, in every lecture that I I give, in every presentation that I have, on every podcast that I'm on. That story, Corey's story, of what he would like to give to the world is told every single time I open my mouth. It's called the butterfly effect. We have no idea what the power of one movement will do. And so I ask those of you in the name of Corey who feel so inclined to take 10 minutes out of the course of your lifetime, 10 minutes out of the course of a lifetime is nothing. And find someone you don't know and care enough about them to ask a question and just be there with them and listen. Don't try and fix them. Don't try and change them. Just listen to them and love them. Hear them. Acknowledge them validate them, and accept them. It's amazing what will happen. Imagine if we just did that in the world we live in today. If each of us did it, then every single person in the world would have had their 10 minutes where they actually felt hurt. What would that do? What would that allow us to do? How would that go back to the story now of my daughter? What would it? Uh, what would happen if we, if we heard what people said, so that they didn't need to yell? If we heard what people said, so that they didn't need to tantrum or create a chaos in a world that we would have enough chaos in? If they didn't need to destroy something by standing in a in a in a in a crowd and shooting from a top of, from a top of a building into a crowd of people, or Destroying a building because we that we haven't heard in a riot around why can't we just have the rights that other people have? Imagine what would happen if we were just heard. We wouldn't need to do this. Imagine what would happen in our political system if one side actually heard the other and actually said, we believe the same thing. We all want the same thing. We want to have a safe world which with an economy that's thriving. We don't have to oppose one another. We don't have to fight one another. How can we make all of this happen by just doing, by just finding what we agree upon and, and making that happen and letting it grow from there? It feels to me, guys, that this is so simple. This isn't hard, heavy philosophy. This isn't hard to understand. This actually is what our hearts and souls want. All of us want to be heard. Our own inner voice wants us to listen to it, too. We all just want to be heard and listened to, loved and accepted, acknowledged and validated. If we can do that, if we can do that in the name of Corey, if we can do that in the name of my developmentally delayed daughter, if we can do that in the name of humanity, I believe the world that we will create as a result of this that we're going through will be so much richer, so much kinder so much more loving, so much more generous, so much more a reflection of who we are rather than of what we see in the moment. What we see is not what is.
2: It's just what we see.
1: What would happen if we could see what we don't see?
2: That's the $64,000 question, Daniel. I remember decades ago, it may have been uh, circa 1980, I would talk to academics and I went through more than one process of group therapy. I thought that was pretty healthy for me. I had issues that I wanted some help with. And so we get together with a group of people and we would get in touch with our feelings as Bob Newhart used to encourage on on his first show. (laughs) (laughs) And when I did that, I would hear about this phenomenon of people creating an artificial sense of separation between themselves and the so-called lower classes or even dregs of society, and it was known as thinging people. If a person is a thing, you don't have to show much respect because you've depersonalized that individual as opposed to valuing them as an individual human being with desires of their own, which probably, at least writ large, are not that much different from your own. And yet, when they are things, then it's okay to abuse them because they don't count. They're not real, as humans go. And while you were talking, Daniel, I thought of the name of Victor Hugo, and I go, why would that be important? And then the image of Quasimodo came to me, the hunchback of Notre Dame, That novel was written, by the way, in 1831. So this is pre-Civil War era in American terms. Quasimodo, and look at all the time that has passed, and yet in terms of social evolution and the, the activity of the human mind and our evaluations of human personality, I'm sorry to say that at moments like this, it feels like we haven't advanced much beyond... The turning of the wheel and the lashing of quadimoto as people laugh in derision. That's a lot of what goes on with the homeless in our nation, for example. This, This idea that, oh, maybe we don't whip them in public anymore, but you can go to a subway on a dark night and you may have a group of young people. They might be teenagers or in their early 20s, and they will be Kicking, spitting upon, mocking a homeless person trying to sleep on the platform as they pour ammonia on him. This happens. Wow. And I'm thinking, yeah. so where does yeah. humanity come in and the recognition of humanity in all of its ramifications if you're going to call yourself a responsible member of society? Yeah.
1: Let me let me share, if I can, some of my own vulnerability, if it's okay. Um, Please. Please. Because, because before I wrote the mosaic, Gary, um, I wasn't that person. But there are hints of that person in me. Being a being a spiritual person, having been lived in a monastery for ten years, being one day away from being ordained a rabbi, having taught meditation and yoga for for thirty years, there was only, there was a part of me that only wanted to associate with people that had a higher vibration. There were only I didn't want to get involved in the in the sort of senselessness of the world that I saw around me. And I siloed myself in, in my monasticism, I siloed myself and kept myself distant from people that were of lower vibration, quote unquote. I only ate in certain restaurants where I believed the preparation of the food had was came from people's hearts rather than just fast foods that were just that were just junky foods and and didn't feel good. And then I wrote the mosaic and the mosaic took me to school because in the story, it's a story about a boy who loses his parents and he asks the adults where his parents are and the parents tell him they're in a place called heaven. And so he sets out in search of that place called heaven. But the people he, he finds along his journey are not the rabbis and the priests and the swamis and the gurus and the aborigine elders. And the shamans. He finds the trash man, the homeless man, the waitress, the juice man, the gardener. He finds common ordinary people. And those were not the people that I spent my time with. It wasn't that I did what the kids that you were saying in the in the in the subway systems did to the homeless. I just didn't I just didn't care enough or give enough or think that they had anything of value to me. And one of the things that he asked himself in the book silently is he said, why in my search for heaven are these people showing up? What can they tell me about heaven? They're not who I expect to talk to me about heaven. But he thought, I'm here with them. Why don't I just listen to what they say? Why don't I just hear their stories? And in 100% of the cases, as Mo walked through his journey and listened to these people, He found the person that he first saw was not at all who they were. After taking time and listening to them, he saw a completely different human being there. And he learned from them. And and he didn't ever think that he could learn anything from them because he thought he he already knew too much. He learned from every single one of them. And he saw that every single human being, every single thing in the world is speaking to us if we would just listen to it. And when we listen to it, there is nobody who's a thing anymore. There is no thingy there that, that I even myself, in some ways, believed. Like, why would I listen to, to them? It's just my, it was just my arrogance and my and my sense of importance and ego. But when I actually took the time to sit, and the mosaic the mosaic brought it home to me so so big that it's a common, ordinary people that have a voice that want to be heard as well. And when we listen to their voice, there is so much we can learn from the experiences of every single human being. And that was what schooled me. And so for those of us who feel like I felt, I, I, I sympathize with you because I understand you. But is it really what you believe? That's part of why my whole message now is listen to somebody. The story that I tell is of the homeless man, not of the board, uh, of the CEO of, the, of one of the richest companies in the world that I sat with and spoke to as well. I don't tell that story because people already think to listen to them, but they don't think to listen to the people that they pass on the street. They don't think to listen to the Uber driver or the taxi driver or the bus driver or the person that parks their car, or the person that cleans their office, or the person that's gardening around their building or their home. If we would just take time and listen, we would be amazed at the humanity that this world has, and the goodness that this world has. As I traveled around the world, what I saw was not what the news news stations were saying. I didn't see people that were trying to fight with each other all the time. Sure, there were those people there. But I saw a vast number of people that are really concerned about the direction of the world and the way we're moving and that really care and love this this country and this earth so much that they want to take care of it. Their methods of how they take care of it might be different, but they all love it and want it to be well. They all want to give a world to their children and their grandchildren that is safe. And and healthy, and stable. We agree on so much more than we disagree on. It's just for the news cycles. Fighting is what brings the tension. Uh, differences is what makes one news station stand out from the other. But when I watch the news on the different stations, I watch CNN, M- M- MSNBC and I watch CNN, and then I watch Fox, and they're not even talking about the same world. One has full coverage of the riots that are going on. The other one is talking about Trump's war against uh, Twitter. It's all diversions. Everywhere we look, it's all diversions, and it's diversions for our dollars. It's diversions for our our, our, our watching. We have to now start to listen to what's really happening. Listen to each other, get back out. And part of the thing that I wanted to do, and I will do after COVID-19 allows the space for us to do it, is get back on the road and just listen to each other. Sit with people on street corners, in in cafes, in bookstores, in government offices, in, in, in boardrooms of companies, and just ask people, What is it that you are really trying to say? What would happen if you just listened more to your clients and your customers than you told them what you do? We need to have a revolution of listening. It will change our world.
2: I love that phrase, a revolution of listening. I've read my fair share of negotiation and conflict resolution texts, And I can tell you, Daniel, that just about all of them either say it directly or in some form or fashion, it's wise to listen much and talk little because no matter what the deal is or the resolution, the person with whom you are interacting by their own speech is trying to tell you how to reach agreement, harmony. Yeah.
1: And if you can't hear it in their words, the beauty of the story with my daughter is it didn't come through her words. It came through another action that she communicated to me in a way that I wouldn't have, wouldn't have trusted that she could, but she did. So if we can't understand the words that someone's saying, say to them, how can you tell it to me in another way? How can you draw a picture of it? How can you show it to me? How can you communicate it to me so that I can understand it?
2: I'm very grateful to have you any time you want to come on with us. Daniel Bruce Levin, you have so much to share. And it seemingly is like knowledge at your fingertips. It's in your marrow. It just comes out of you naturally. But this is the product of a very active mind who ponders deeply. And I, for one, think we could use a lot more of that in our society. I hope that you continue to shape people's thoughts and their responses to life more than mere reactions. I think it's going to mature us as a people. And so for that and many other reasons, Suzanne and I are very grateful to get on the air with you anytime we can.
1: It is my absolute honor, and I love what you're doing Thank you so much for your receptivity and for sharing me with your listening
2: audience. Thank you. The book, once again, The Mosaic by Daniel Bruce Levin. Give it an honored place on your bookshelf, everyone. It is a wonderful book.
3: And in the meantime, stay tuned for Jupiter Rising coming up next. And join us again next week, Friday, 10 a.m. Anything else, Gary?
2: Just have yourselves a safe and sane weekend. Stay healthy and all the best to everyone. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.